I'm always excited to be able to share with you the Word of the Lord, and we're going to look at Proverbs chapter 11 tonight. So if you have your Bibles, that's where we're going to be. Um, we're not going. There's a lot in the book of Proverbs, um, as you know, and this chapter especially has a lot in it. So we're not going to hit it verse by verse tonight, but we're just going to pull some principles and things out of out of the chapter. So we will be in chapter 11, and I will just go over them as as we're there. So tonight we're going to talk about choices. Choices. In the book of Proverbs, actually throughout the Bible, there's a lot of contrasts and comparisons. There's a lot of choices that we can make. And so we've titled tonight's lesson, Two Choices on the Shelf, Pleasing God or Pleasing Self. Two Choices on the Shelf, Pleasing God or pleasing self. Let's go to the Lord in prayer tonight before we begin. Can we? Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time to gather together uh, once again to read your word, to study your word. I pray, Lord, tonight that, Lord, that uh, everything that is said would be you, Lord. I pray that my words be set aside, but that your Holy Spirit would speak through me, that we might hear your word. Give us ears to hear, God. I pray, Lord, that we would not only hear with our ears and with our mind, but, Lord, that we would be transformed by our heart. And I ask, Lord Jesus, that the living word of God would penetrate our heart tonight and that we would go home changed and that we would go home, Lord, with the attitude that we're going to choose to please you. And we thank you for it in the name of Jesus. Amen. The choices that we make will determine the consequences that we acquire. The choices that you make will determine the consequences that you acquire. We have choices every day that we make. Every day that we get up in the morning, we, we make the choice to either hit that snooze button or to get up. I usually hit the snooze button, pull it in bed with me and hit the snooze button about five more times. And that's my choice, but sometimes I pay for that because it puts me a little behind. But we just have, we have choices every day, and we've got to be intentional about those important choices because there are consequences to our choices. So we're going to talk tonight, number one, about contrast and comparisons. Contrast and comparisons. And like I said, we're not going to go verse to verse, but we're just going to look at a few verses in chapter 11 of the book of Proverbs. So if you will read with me, we're going to read beginning at verse 1 and we'll read through verse 3. Dishonest scales are an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is His delight. When pride comes, then comes shame, but with the humble is wisdom. The integrity of the upright will guide them but the perversity of the unfaithful will destroy them. The first contrast or comparison I want us to look at tonight is honesty versus dishonesty. In biblical times, to be able to understand a little better what this proverb is talking about when it's talking about scales, in biblical times there were two main sources of incomes. They had the fields and they had flocks. They had farmers that took care of, of the uh, farm and then they had the herdsmen that took care of the animals. One was working the fields and one was working with the animals. And there were scales that were used in the marketplace. And we have that today as well. But they were there so that they could weigh their item. And the customers would pay based on 
the weight of the item. And it was common practice for dishonest vendors to alter their scale so that the customer would pay more than they should by giving the vendor an unfair advantage with a dishonest profit. How many knows that still happens today? There's people that will try and get a dishonest profit by being dishonest. In Deuteronomy 25, verses 13 through 16, the Lord had instructed the Israelites to avoid this practice. Integrity should be something that is a character trait in the life of a believer in every aspect of our life. Now here it's talking about business. But it not should only be something that is a character trait in our business, and it should, but also in our family, in our relationships. Integrity and honesty should be everywhere in the life of a believer. We should be a person that is known who can be trusted at our word. A person of integrity. We can uh, be trusted that we're honorable and faithful and genuine and loyal and ethical. We should be a person of godly character. There should be a difference. There should be, people should be able to tell the difference between a believer and someone who does not believe in Christ. There should be fruit in our life that is showing a godly character. And one of those uh, attributes should be honesty and integrity. Not someone who's deceitful misleading, unfair, or tricky. Even in the slightest sense, sometimes we think, well, no one's going to know. It's not that big of a deal. You know, if I take some things from work or I, or I just do this, it's not a big deal. You know, they, they get enough money anyways. They're not going to miss it. That Nobody will know. That's still deceitfulness. That's still dishonesty. Let's be a person of integrity and character and be set apart, be different so that the fruit of our life speaks of Christ in our life. A trustworthy life without shame or secrets. A life that is lived above reproach. And all that is simply saying is so that someone can't truthfully accuse you of being deceptive. You're going to have people all the time that are going to accuse you, but they cannot accurately or truthfully accuse you of deception if you are living a life above reproach, you are living a life of godly character, and you are being a person of integrity. So the choice that we see here in Proverbs is, are you going to be honest? Or are you going to be dishonest? Are you going to be a person of integrity? Or are you going to be a person who is deceitful and tricky and someone that cannot be trusted? We have a choice tonight. A person that lives a life above reproach is a man or woman of integrity. And verse 3 tells us that their integrity will guide them. Now, the version I just read from you is the uh, New King James, but in other uh, translations where it says perversity, it also uses the word duplicity. And it's speaking of the unfaithful, uh, of the constant wavering as a wave. If you remember in James, it talks about when we are uh, like a wave of the sea, we're like a double-minded man in all of our ways. We cannot, we cannot be trusted. We're always moving about, but a person of integrity is like a rock. We say what we mean, and we mean what we say. We're somebody that can be trusted. There should be in the business, there should be, if they know you're a believer, they should say, well, I know I can trust him. I know I can trust her because she's a Christian. But that's not always true, and that's, that should not be. We should be people that are set apart, people of integrity, people of godly character that can be trusted for our word. 
So I encourage you tonight to take from this proverb to choose integrity. The choices that you make will determine the consequences that you acquire. Our consequences are inevitably connected to our choices. It is our outward testimony, this Franklin Graham said, it is our outward testimony that reveals our inward belief. Think about that. Our outward testimony, what people see on the outside, and you know, the scripture does say man looks upon the outside and God looks upon the heart, which is true. But what do people see on the outside? What is your testimony telling them of what's on the inside? They can't see your heart, but they can see your lifestyle. They can see if you're honest or dishonest. They can see if you're really a person of integrity or if you just talk the talk, but you don't walk the walk. It's our outward testimony that reveals our inward belief. Our honesty and integrity are always on trial. It is tested when we make out work reports. It is tested when we file our income tax. It is tested when we make a sale or when we come outside of Walmart. And this has happened to me before. I've gotten outside and my, I get to the end of my bags, putting them in my, in my car. And there's one item that somehow I didn't take. It wasn't purpose. I didn't take it out and it was not paid for. And I know it wasn't paid for. Well, I'm going to be really silly by going back into Walmart and saying, but, but you know what? That speaks of integrity when you take that item back in and you say, I didn't pay for this. That's integrity. That's doing what is right. A person that is, has integrity. There is no legacy as right as integrity. Integrity counts. Might seem silly to others, but the Lord sees our heart. And we should be a person of integrity. So the first choice that we have to choose, are we going to be honest? Are we going to be dishonest? Number two, reckless words. Versus righteous words. Let's look at verse 9. Verse 9. It says, and it comes to the wicked instead. Excuse me. Verse 9. The hypocrite with his mouth destroys his neighbor. But through knowledge the righteous will be delivered. We're going to read that again. Verse 9. The hypocrite with his mouth destroys his neighbor, but through knowledge the righteous will be delivered. Go down to verse 12 and 13. He who is devoid of wisdom despises his neighbor, but a man of understanding holds his peace. A talebearer reveals secrets, but he who is a faithful spirit conceals a matter. Our words reflect what is on the inside of us. Our mouth can be used as a weapon to destroy our neighbor, to destroy someone, or our mouth and words can be used as a tool to encourage and lift someone up, to edify and, and lift up those around us. What will we use our mouth for? Will we use them for reckless words? Or are we going to choose to do what is right and have righteous words. Ephesians 4.29 says, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification that it may impart grace 
to the hearers? Are your words imparting grace to the hearers, those that hear you? Are you imparting mercy and love and encouragement and grace? Or are we giving reckless words of discouragement and negativity and how things are not so good because we're just constantly complaining? Or, you know, we think of corrupt language or corrupt words a lot of time. Immediately we think of profanity. And just a side note here, profanity should not be in the vocabulary of a believer. Profanity should not be found on Facebook if you're a Christian. Don't be posting profanity. Just going to get on my soapbox just a minute. People see that and it speaks of your testimony. It speaks of your integrity. Choose not to be so someone can't rightfully say something against you. Keep that your language and your vocabulary and your speech pure. But this is not just speaking about profanity when it says let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but it's talking about what is for good. Speak what is good. Speak what is edifying. Words that lift up. You hear the saying a lot of times, they'll say, now watch your mouth. But you know, really we should be saying, but watch your heart. Because our heart, which really is our inner thoughts and our mind, our passions, it's that innermost part of us, our ambitions and our motives. It's the executive center that determines our entire life. It's our mouth. The Bible says in Matthew 15, 18, but those things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart and they defile a man. If you remember, they were accusing Jesus in this passage of eating with his disciples, eating with unwashed hands and, you know, how that was unsanitary. And it's good to wash your hands. I'm all for that. But what he was saying is what defiles a man, what comes out of a man, comes out of his heart. And what comes out of the heart, we will speak. So we've not only got to guard our mouth, but let us guard our heart. I was thinking the other day, I my little grandbaby is here, and I keep her some days. I'm so honored to be able to have her. And we watch Baby Einstein a lot. She loves Baby Einstein. And I woke up, I had that song in my head over and over and over. We played it over because she loved it, so we just keep playing it. But I woke up, and that Baby Einstein was going on in my head. I woke up with the song on my mind about Baby Einstein because I had had it in my mind all day long. And that just goes to tell you, though, what you feed continually in your mind, in your spirit, is going to come out because I had it something that I had meditated on and something I had, uh, you know, had going all day long. So be careful what you feed your mind on. But it isn't just our mouth, it's our heart. Luke 6, 44 and 45 says, A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What's in the heart is going to come out of the mouth. If it's not in the heart, it's not going to come out. But whatever is in here will come out. Are we going to speak toxic words? Are we going to speak life-giving words? And you know, sometimes uh, I heard an example the other day uh, about a couple. They were going to an amusement park and they had heard this other young couple behind them and the wife was a little ways ahead of the husband and, and she was telling him, don't forget to get that stroller. And she was saying it in an angry voice. And don't do what you did before. 
and then they got up and they did something else and he hollered it was some animal. They were at a zoo. That's what it was. And he said the wrong animal and she said from across, way across, that's not what it is. Just really angry. And all the things that she said were true. He probably needed to get that stroller and he needed to do what he hadn't done before. And maybe he did say the wrong animal, but it was her tone of voice. It was the way that she said it. So sometimes it's not just the words that we say, but it's the tone that we use. It's the way that we say it that can come across as uh, reckless or righteous, something that is received or something that hurts, a weapon or a tool. So out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. We don't want to give toxic words, but we want to give life-giving words. Proverbs 15 and 1 says, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word will stir up anger. It's hard in the moment sometimes to have a gentle answer. I pray that scripture a lot that says, be slow to speak, be slow to get angry, and be swift to hear. Because a lot of times I tend to be a nervous talker and I just want to answer you immediately. And then I say, why did I say that? So slow, ask the Lord to help you to slow down so that you don't say toxic words, but you think about what you're going to say and you say life-giving words. You want to speak things that are going to lift people up and encourage them. And you want to give a gentle answer that's going to turn away anger instead of just stirring it up with harsh words. And we can be self-controlled only when we're Holy Spirit controlled. When the Spirit is controlling us, then we can be self-controlled in that. Put water on the fire of conflict. Don't put fire on fire. So the choices we have to make is that we will choose to be honest. Let us choose righteous words instead of reckless words. Number three, let us choose life instead of death. Life instead of death. Looking at verse 18. Verse 18 says, The wicked man does deceptive work. But he who sows righteousness will have a sure reward. As righteousness leads to life, so he who pursues evil pursues it to his own death. Sowing seeds of righteousness is doing what is right in the sight of God and following the whole counsel of God. It's not just hearing His Word. We need to read the Word. We need to pray. But all we do is pray and read the Word, but we don't do what the Word says. The Bible says we're deceiving ourselves to be hearers only and not doers. We're being deceived. So we've got to not only hear His Word when we're sowing seeds of righteousness, but we've got to obey His Word. We've got to heed His Word or take special attention to it. Give uh, careful attention and obey the Scriptures. The law, of, the law of sowing or planting and reaping, it's a metaphor that he is using here. Uh, it's more of an agricultural uh, principle. Like we were talking back in biblical times, it was a lot to do with agriculture. It was planting the fields. and so. But it is not just an agricultural metaphor. It is a spiritual principle as well. Here Solomon is saying that this evil life is hard because in addition to facing the challenges that we all face every day, that the wicked, the ones that don't follow the, the, the Word of God, the, the ones that are not the children of God, they have to face and reap the continuous harvest from the unrighteous seeds that they're sowing because of the law of the sowing 
and reaping every day because they are sowing these seeds. But we as believers should be walking in the counsel of God. What does the first psalm say? Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, but let us walk in godly counsel. And we should be planting seeds of righteousness. We should be doing what the Word of God said. And as we do this daily, we set ourselves up to reap a continuous harvest of godliness. So that even when the challenges do come, and they do come, we will all face challenges, but we will have His grace and His mercy and His favor and His divine harvest to lean upon. And when we have all of those for us, we are abundantly empowered to face whatever comes against us. Because we can know that if He is for us, who can be against us? And we, He will reward us as we follow Him and we choose to do what is right. Good character is the best insurance. It protects us from sowing the wrong seed and keeps us from reaping the wrong harvest. If you don't like the harvest that you are reaping, check the seed that you are sowing. If you don't like what's happening in your life, now some things are without our control, I understand that, but some things are just because we're sowing the wrong seed. We're choosing to make choices that now we're reaping. So if you don't like the harvest that you are reaping, check that seed that you are sowing. And just as our words are connected to our heart, so are our actions. The choice to choose to sow seeds of righteousness. The Lord has given us a choice, given us choices to make, given us opportunity to make those choices. Ephesians 6 talks about the armor of God. And it tells us to put on the whole armor of God. But you know one very vital uh, part of the armor of God is the breastplate of righteousness. And when we choose by the enabling power of the Holy Spirit to put that breastplate of righteousness on, it protects a vital organ. What does it protect? Our heart. Our heart. And remember, it's going back to the heart. It's all about the heart. You can do these things, but if it's not truly from your heart, you've got to choose to be honest because it's something that you want from your heart. You want to be a person of integrity. You've got to guard your heart for out of it flow the issues of life. So that righteousness, making the right choices, choosing to live by God's Word, not just hearing it, not just reading it, but doing God's Word, and it will protect your heart, when we choose by the power of the Spirit to do what is right, it will protect our heart. We choose to live a life of holiness on the right side of life, aligning ourselves to God. We don't want to align the Word of God to our lifestyle, but let us align our lifestyle to the Word of God. Don't try and find a scripture in there to make it all okay so that you can live the way you want to. But why don't we just align our own lifestyle with what the Word of God says? Amen? Sowing and reaping, it takes time. Nothing good grows overnight. But we can be assured that the Bible says in Proverbs 11 that we have a sure reward. In due time, it says, a sure reward will come to the righteous. Galatians 5, 7 through 10 says, Do not be deceived, for God is not mocked. 
For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. Let us not grow weary in well-doing, for in due season we will reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are the household of faith. When I was reading this, I was thinking of... um, this saying that Mother Teresa gave, and probably a lot of you are familiar with it, and I just want to read it to you tonight, is talking about doing what is right in spite of the circumstance. It's called do it anyway. It says people are often unreasonable and self-centered. Forgive them anyway. If you are kind, people may accuse you of ulterior motives, but be kind anyway. What you spend years building someone can destroy overnight, but build anyway. If you are honest, people may cheat you. Be honest anyway. If you find happiness, people might be jealous. Be happy anyway. The good you do today, it may be forgotten tomorrow, but do good anyway. Give the world the best that you have, and it may not be enough. But give your best anyway. For you see, in the end, it is between you and God. It was never between you and them anyway. You see, the Lord is the rewarder. He is the one that will reward you. Don't look for your affirmation in people. Don't look for your reward here from people. But you just keep sowing those seeds of righteousness. You keep making the right choices to be honest and to use your words to uplift and encourage, to be kind, and God will reward you. You have a sure reward, the Scripture said. A sure reward. Another Comparison and contrast, the choice that we want to make is generosity versus greed. Let's look at verse 24 and 25. Verse 24 says, There is one who scatters, yet increases more. There is one who withholds more than is right, but it leads to poverty. The generous soul will be made fat or rich. And he who waters will also be watered himself. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. A generous person will prosper. A generous person has a different perspective. The world's view is we hoard it all. We keep it all. We can't give any of it away or we'll never have anything. But God says to give and it shall be given to you. We've got to have a generous spirit. We've got to have a different perspective. Seeing that what we have is never enough. Or we could see that what God has given me He can use it. We don't want to despise the small things, but we want to give and have that generous attitude. A generous person has an abundance mentality. But again, it goes back to the heart. Because we can give, but we can give with the wrong attitude and not really be generous at all. The Bible says that God loves the cheerful giver. The cheerful giver. So we've got to give with the right attitude. 
Let God multiply the gift in you. You think, well, maybe I can't, I wish I could do this, and I, I can't do it as well as so-and-so, or I've only got this amount of money, or I've only got this amount that I can do. But take what God has given to you and let him multiply it. He can take the small, you remember the little town of Bethlehem. It wasn't a big town, but that's where Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords was born. It was a small place, but God used it for big, mighty things. And things in your life that are small, he can take and expand them, and use them as much. Don't despise the little. You can't outgive God. Of course, I go back to music, and I think of songs as growing up as a child. Uh, you can't outgive the Lord no matter what you do. You'll find out in the end the Lord's outgiven you. Your silver and your gold, your love and service too. You can't outgive the Lord no matter what you do. You can never outgive God. You give and He's going to give back to you more and abundantly than you gave to Him. But don't give with the attitude if I'm going to give and get back. You just keep giving and He will bless you. You have that sure reward. Let your generosity be a celebration, not a calculation. Let it be a celebration. Say, Lord, I am so excited that you have given this to me. I wouldn't have it anyways if you hadn't given it to me. So I celebrate that I can give it back. And as I have that kind of a heart, as I give to you and I celebrate it, you're going to bless it. But if I'm always calculating, well, if I give this, then I won't have that. Now, I'm not talking about not using wisdom. We have to use wisdom. But yet at the same time, we need to have a generous spirit. We've got to have a different perspective of giving. Not only in our money, but giving of our time. Giving of our service. Giving in every area of our life. Be a generous soul. The Hebrew uh, meaning of generous soul means the soul of blessing. The man who is blessing to others. Are you storing up? Are you supplying? Do you have a generous spirit? Or do you have a greedy spirit? Luke 6.38, I kind of quoted this a while ago, but it says, given it shall be given to you. Good measure pressed down, shaken together and running over will men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use it, it will be measured back to you. Don't be afraid to be generous. Give with a generous heart. Have a new mentality. I love this quote from Billy Graham. It says, We are not cisterns made for hoarding, but we are channels made for sharing. We're not cisterns to hold it all in and hoard it all up. All this that God has given us, and we're, not, we're afraid to let go of it because, you know, if we let go, then we may just run out. But we're not made to hold it all in and hoard it, but we're made to be channels that God can flow through that we can share with others. And, as, and you know what happens is it's a continual flow. As you give out, God gives back some more. As you give out again, He continues to use you. But when you hoard it all up, you can't give if you're hoarding it. You've got to be that channel for sharing. We're not cisterns made for hoarding, but we are channels made for sharing. So we've got choices to make. Contrasts and comparisons. Number two, will you go or will you stay? Let's look at verse 30. Verse 30. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. And he who wins souls is wise. 
The ultimate benefit, I want you to really listen to this, the ultimate benefit of the righteous, which is us, is eternal life. Now I'm going to stop here for just a minute. I know we talked about what righteousness is, but I want to explain that it's not our own righteousness within ourselves. Because the Bible says that our righteousness is nothing but a dirty, filthy rag. But it's Jesus became sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God. It's His righteousness. But when we choose to do what is right, we are pleasing to Him. So the ultimate benefit, and we become righteous in Him. So the ultimate benefit of the righteous, which is us, is eternal life. But the ultimate mark of the righteous is to be a soul winner. Is to be a soul winner. Is that mark upon us that we're winning souls. The scripture that we just read says the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. And he who wins souls is wise. The righteous will produce life-giving fruit. So will you go? And win souls, or will you stay? We are commissioned. Brother Dave Yates, and he was preaching this uh, Sunday. I said, oh, he's preaching on commission. I told Bill he's getting on my message. <laughs> but we are commissioned. We're commissioned to go and to uh, allow the Spirit of God to use us and go and be that witness for Him. Acts 1 and 8 says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses. He gave us power at Pentecost to be His witness, to be able to be that soul winner. He has given us the authority. He's commissioned us. He's given us the power to be soul winners. We can never be effective in our own strength and power, but we need the supernatural power of His Holy Spirit. And He has given that to us when He gave His Spirit that we are commissioned to go. The Great Commission is not an option to be considered, but it is a command to be obeyed. Hudson Taylor was a missionary from the 1800s said this, the Great Commission is not an option to be considered, but it is a command to be obeyed. It's not an option whether or not we're a soul winner. If we want to be wise, if we want to be a, a child of God that is out doing what He's asked us to do, then we've been commissioned to go. We've been given the authority and the power to be His witness. It's not an option, but it's a command that we must go. Will you go? Or will you stay? We are commissioned and we are sent. We are sent. He said to go. Mark 16 and 15. It says, go into all of the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Matthew 28, 19 says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. Go. Go. There was a book I read a while back called Becoming a Contagious Christian by Bill Hybels and Mark Middleberg. And one of the quotes that they had in there said, in a very real way, worldwide change hinges on the verb in Jesus' command. Worldwide change hinges on the verb in Jesus' command to go. Not stay. 
Go. Go into your workplace. Go into your school. Go into your, um, you know, grocery store. Wherever you go and be that light. Be that one that is different. That person that can be a light to those that are hurting. Those that are broken. Those that are lost. It's a commission and it's a command that we go. We are commissioned and we are sent. But we must go. I was thinking of while I was looking at this proverb and thinking about being a soul winner. I was thinking of Mark chapter 5, and you know the story a lot of you about the demon-possessed man and the Gadarenes and how that he had the demon of legion and how that Jesus cast them out. But I was, I love the whole story of how that he fell at the feet of Jesus. He's seen him from afar and he fell at his feet. You see, the enemy can't stand in the presence of our Savior. But I love at at the uh, verse, what verse was it, 18 and 19, when, when he had healed him and the people are, are telling Jesus to leave and Jesus is getting in a boat and, and the demon-possessed man that is now delivered and set free wants to go with Jesus, but Jesus does not permit it. But he says in verse 18, when he got into the boat, he who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. However, Jesus did not permit him, but he said to him, go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. You see, your changed life is your evangelism. What God has done for you is your evangelism. See, he had been set free of all of these demons and he just wanted to go with Jesus. But Jesus said, no, go home. Go home and tell all your friends. Go tell them what the Lord has done for you. Tell them how he had compassion upon you. You go and tell. Go and tell. Remember the woman at the well? She said, come see a man who's told me everything I ever did. She was going and telling, and that's what we've got to do. Whatever our life was like before, and Jesus has changed us. It doesn't matter if it's a healing in our body or if it's a transformation of our life. It's a deliverance, whatever it is. We've got to go and tell because our changed life is our evangelism. Our changed life. Your conversion and deliverance, your healing, you gotta tell somebody, gotta tell somebody what he's done for me. Go back to those old songs again that we used to sing. Look what the Lord has done. Get that old tambourine out and just makes you want to get a little Pentecostal, you know. You gotta go tell. Go tell somebody. I can't keep it to myself. It's just I just been set free. I've been delivered. I'm a new creation. I gotta tell somebody. Jesus said, go tell your friends. Go tell. Go tell. Do you want to be wise? Do you want wisdom? The Bible says be a soul winner. Be a soul winner. Be honest. Be kind. Speak life. Give generously. And most of all, be a soul winner. But the only way that we can do that is when we allow the Holy Spirit to empower us when we allow the Word of God to dwell richly within us, when we submit ourselves and heed to the Word of God, taking careful attention to the Scriptures and being obedient to Him. We don't want to just read the Word and have an intellectual understanding, but it's got to be a heart transformation. We've got to take it home and say, Lord, what can this, 
What can this word say to me? How can I be a person of integrity? How can I make that choice, those two choices on the shelf, to either to please you or please myself? Am I going to please you today and make choices that are honest and be a person of integrity? Am I going to make the choice today to be kind even though someone is hateful to me and I don't feel like being kind? I'm going to do it anyway because I'm doing it as unto you. And you're going to be the one who rewards me because you give me a sure reward. I don't have to guess if you're going to reward me, but I know that you will because your word says you will. Making that choice. So tonight, I just want you to think about those things and think about making the right choice. Now, Paul, the Apostle Paul said, you know, and I'm paraphrasing, but he's saying the things I want to do, I don't do, and the things I don't want to do, I do. But You see, it's the Holy Spirit that will help us. It's a dying daily, as he said. We've got to to every day say, Lord, help me today. I don't know what I'm going to run up against. I don't know what decisions I'm going to have to make. But I ask you for help to make the right choices. To be that person that you want me to be. To be light in darkness. To be a person of integrity. To be a person who's honest and a person who's kind. 